Hey now, welcome to the first episode of the new Run Vass Option podcast. I'm your host, Chris Vasser, a.k.a. Coach Vass. For those of you joining us from the Make Defense Great Again podcast, the format for this one will be identical, except with one small exception, we're going to talk offense. Everything else will be the same, minus maybe some music choices. I'm going to bust out some of the music I made when I was back in college. That's right. Most of what you hear on this pod is yours truly playing drums, maybe even a little bass, maybe even a little noise guitar, maybe some background vocals, and maybe even a mouth trumpet solo here or there. If you're joining us for the first time, stop what you're doing, grab a notebook and a pen, because we get deep into the weeds of scheme on most of the pods, and I promise you will need to draw or jot down some notes how I do it most of the times too. We will have coaches from all backgrounds, schemes, and levels with small to mid-level high school coaches whose players go both ways all the way up to the pros. The goal of the pod and really all the work that we do is to advance the discourse of the game. Our first episode will be with Oregon offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead. We will talk through how he created some of his iconic RPOs, the process of coming up with them, as well as his thoughts of lining up an empty and motioning back in the backfield creating a language structure from scratch, his favorite drop back pass, his call sheet, how he attacks tight and bare fronts, and how he uses condensed and bunch sets to stress defenses. Just as a side note, I experimented for the first and last time recording with Zoom, so the audio quality is not my favorite, so I do apologize. I promise it will be better from here on out as I have learned my lesson. Speaking of Zooms, my new YouTube channel is live. You can go there by going to bit.ly slash VASTube. We'll feature a Zoom clinic with Coach Moorhead showing you some of the RPOs we talk about today and beyond. And we'll kick off the new mini clinic series on the channel. Make sure you go again to bit.ly slash VASTube. Make sure you subscribe. Click the little bell to get notifications so you know when it's uploaded. Other news and notes, follow me on Twitter at CoachFast, the show's account at RunVassOption, and the Make Defense Great Again account at MDGA Podcast. If you're not on Twitter, I don't know what you're doing. You need to get on there as it's the number one resource for coaching. Make sure you sign up for the Huddle Blitz 21 Summit taking place from March 1st to March 5th. You can do so by going to huddle.com slash CoachVass. I'll be hosting a defensive roundtable with Cody Alexander, Kyle Kogan, Adam Gaylor, and Chris King. On Tuesday, March 2nd at 5 p.m. Eastern, the next night on the 3rd, I will be a panelist for the Huddle Beta Roundtable with host Nate Patterson and panelists Gene Clemens, Alex Kirby, and Keith Fagan. Later that night at 7 p.m. Eastern, I will be hosting an offensive roundtable with Andrew Coverdale, Stephen Lowe, Matt Logan, and Dub Maddox. And lastly, on Friday, I'll be doing an Ask Me Anything sort of deal, but stay tuned for details on that as more will come. Also, head over to CoachFast.com to check out the podcast page, links to my Patreon, my YouTube, and much more, including merch from the Make Defense Great Again podcast. And if all things go well here on Run Vast Option, we'll maybe get some merch going too, down the road. Lastly, on a more serious note, I want to send uh, prayers and positive vibes to Lake Mary Offensive Coordinator Adam Donnelly and his family. Coach Donnelly, who's been in the hospital with covid Currently, he's in the ICU right now, but he is stable. I texted back and forth with him a little today. Adam is an old friend of mine going back to our days at the U where he was a student assistant and actually got a ring as he was part of the 2001 National Championship team. He's been on pop-up clinics with me. You've seen him on some huddle round tables, and he is about as nice as guy as you will meet. He has a beautiful family, his wife, Jessica, and two kids, and they are just awesome people. Follow him at, at AdamDon3. 
and send your love, prayers, or if you're more of a positive vibes person, send those too. Also, I have a tweet up on uh, the timeline with ways to support the family if you're interested in that. Adam, we're praying for you. We hope you have a speedy recovery, and we want you to be on this podcast soon. So I hope you get better, brother. Okay, now let's get to the show. Let's get into it, man. My guest today is Joe Moorhead, offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at the University of Oregon. Coach, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you having me on. Excited to be the uh, the inaugural offensive guy. So uh, excited for the opportunity, man. Appreciate you having me on. Well, the, the list was very short when I decided to go ahead and do this podcast. You were the number one person I wanted to talk to. You were gracious enough when I was doing the deep dive on defensive series with USA Football. And you actually helped me. You were basically the impetus for the growing guest list because I had you on. I wanted to get another coach on that you knew you worked with. I think Donnie Brown, wasn't it? Well, there was another coach I asked about and you said, well, what about Don Brown? And I was like, "Uh, yeah. (laughs) And so he agreed to do it because of you. And then, well, so the next big name I got after, and I I may be going out of order, so I apologize. Ron Roberts and I had developed a relationship. So that one was kind of on its own. But after that, I was able to get Bud Foster. And when I went to Bud Foster, I said, well, I've had Joe Moorhead and Don Brown. And then I went to Nate Woody and I said, well, I've had Joe Moorhead, Don Brown and Bud Foster. And last year culminated with Dean Pease and Wade Phillips. Wade Phillips talked to me three hours. So, but it, it was that spiral of, and you started it and were gracious enough to even put in a word for me. And so, I was telling you during the pre-interview, you know, I get a lot of in this space now where I don't know why, but coaches ask for my advice at the college level when relating to high school coaches. And I was telling you, I'm going to tell listeners what I told uh, you is be Joe Moorhead. There's nobody that's more gracious online who takes their time to answer questions, uh, advice, anything. And the, the high school coaching community absolutely adores you. And today uh, I told people before I had mentioned that you were going to be the first guest. And today I just tweeted out your bio picture from Oregon and everybody was freaking out. I didn't even say anything. I just tweeted out your picture. <laughs> so I know there's a lot of, Hey, people. they might've been scared. I got a face for radio. <laughs> oh, no, you, you're spinning the ball and you got those eyes looking dead in the camera. Like we're about to score some <laughs> points. So anyway, so let's get it kicked off. We're going to start off. The name of the show is run vast options. So it seems appropriate. That the first question I ask about is run pass options. You're known as being one of the best at all levels of football of executing these and creating them. And so many people look to you for influence on that. Can you go through some of your favorites that you've run over the years and and why they're your favorites? Yeah. I, I think the great thing about it now is, you know, things are cyclical and, you know, you would hear things like, uh, you know, the, the the run pass options and the RPOs, you know, that may be great for high school or to college level. And now you see you see it trickling up in some of the best offenses in the NFL now who are producing the most points. They're in the shotgun. They're in 11 personnel. And, you know, they're utilizing dual threat quarterbacks. So that, that's always exciting to see that something you were on the forefront of kind of creating and implementing, you know, making its way to the highest levels of football. But but to me, the, the RPO offense it's, it's all about the ability to put defenders in conflict. You know, whether that be a defensive end deciding to tackle 
uh, the dive or the quarterback or a uh, perimeter player having to play the quarterback or play the bubble or play the pitch or an inside linebacker having to play his run gap or his pass drop or a safety having to play his run fit or somebody man to man. You know, it's all about putting a defender or a series defenders in conflict and then having them choose between doing one of two things. And when they make the choice, you know, the quarterback decides, you know, to do the opposite. And, uh, you know, that's something that we've been very, very successful with and, and not just, you know, read the end and either handing it off or pulling it and running the bubble. But, you know, now we've gotten into reading the end, handing it off, then pulling it and having a screen attached to it or, you know, reading a, an inside linebacker and having a route combination or a handoff, you know, reading a safety and having a glance or a, or a route behind that and handing it off. I mean, we, we've just evolved this thing to, to such a high level and having the ability to read really any of the 11 defenders on the field. It's uh, it's hard to choose which one's your favorite. Sorry, I got my dog barking here. Hard to choose which one's your favorite. It's like picking between your kids. You can't, you can't pick your favorite because they've all, they've all got their moments. Right, and I'm sure they all have their their different places and and when you like to use them. Like you said, if if you've got something that works against you, you have an uh, an RPO for every defender, almost like a menu effect. Like, well, if this guy is giving us, it's kind of almost like the old triple option. Like, okay, if you can't block and read him, kind of a thing. Okay, they have this middle linebacker that's just coming downhill and knifing through and creating havoc. How do we use the passing game to hold him and not just play action? That's an interesting thing. And I almost wonder, do you, do you create like a menu almost like, you know, you hear those wing T guys If this guy's making the play, we're going to look at this player. Do you kind of have that sort of thing for the RPO? Like, okay, the field side overhang. I mean, that's easy, but like the, the boundary side overhang, the boundary side safety is it's three by one, their weak side rotating. How do we take advantage of him? Like, do you have a, if then menu? Yes. It's essentially what it is. It's a collection of tags. And we, uh, if you've seen our run game, we have, uh, you know, five for six runs. We have six for six runs and, um, you know, have the ability to leave, you know, one person unblocked at the line of scrimmage, whether it be a, a defensive lineman or a linebacker, or have the ability to block up the core six of the formation and then leave a support defender or a safety unblocked. So essentially with all of our runs that we leave the defensive end unblocked and we're reading him, there's a series of tags that go along with that. Right. Uh, that, we're leaving one of the inside linebackers unblocked and we're running an outside zone or inside zone fan scheme. And one of those, one the, the backside inside linebackers unblocked and there's a series of tags that go along with that. Or if we're running a six for six run, whether it be split zone, cutoff zone, one back power tackle wrap with a cutoff, you know, we call those our six for six runs. And then there's a series of tags that, that go along with all of those. A good friend of mine is a high school coach, uh, Eric Kasperowicz. He's a high school coach in, uh, Pittsburgh at Pine Richland, you know, visiting with him when I was at Penn state and we were joking around and we kind of called it the Chipotle offense just because there's not a ton of ingredients, but you can mix them and match them, mix them and match them to suit what you want to do. So it creates a high level, I would guess of visual complexity and presentation to the defense. But for us, it's which run do we want to have? What is the defense playing? And then, then which tag allows us to, to read the people that we want to read. How did you get there? Like, what was the impetus for starting to do this stuff? And, and maybe talk about the process of maybe creating your first one, or maybe maybe you snagged one from another offense for the first couple or whatever, and then you decided to create your own as the third or fourth one. You did. I, I'm not sure how that goes, but how, how did you get involved in it? And then what's your process for creating? I mean, you kind of gone over it a little bit, but like 
maybe you could use an example of one that that you came about because of a defenseless reaction. Right. I, I think everybody, I say everybody, that all of the zone read people, when you go back to Rich Rod, you know, when he was doing it at West Virginia with, with Owen Schmidt and Steve Slayton and, and Pat White and those guys, I think everybody was doing a version, you know, of reading the end and pulling it and then maybe adding a bubble to it. I remember our first second level RPO is when I was at University of Akron, and I can remember it clear as day. We were going to play Miami of Ohio at Miami of Ohio. Uh, we were in 12 personnel, uh, you know, double detached, when I say double detached, a, a flanker and a split end, and then two tight ends on the si- same side. We, we call that formation train. And, uh, you know, they were playing this 4-3 stack, you know, quarters press defense, you know, and, uh, you know, too high. And we ran inside zone away from the two tight ends. And I said to Coach Brookhart, who was our head coach at the time, I said, well, what if we put the on-the-line tight end on the stick and ran the F tight end to the flat? And then we called it 15 lock stick. And then we read that same linebacker. And if, if he chases the F to the flat, you hand the ball off. If he fits his run gap, you know, then you throw it to the flat. And it happened in that game. And, you know, we threw the ball to the flat. I remember Merce Poindexter was our tight end number 83. And we hit him. And, uh, and I don't want to say we majored in it uh, at any point there, but I think that was probably the first time we ran a, a second level RPO. Um, you know, then as time kind of progressed and, we went through the Akron and we did some really interesting things at UConn. Uh, then when I got to Fordham is when we really started reading safeties with the six for six runs, uh, you know, and, and running the inside glances, the outside glances and, you know, doing a bunch of, I think, unique and creative stuff there. And then Penn state, Mississippi state, and now at Oregon, we started getting into what I'm calling the run screen options where, you know, you're leaving a first level defender on block. You're reading them. If he holds your hand, if he bends, then you have some kind of route behind the line of scrimmage where you're blocking it up on the perimeter. Then we started to get into some bluff stuff off of that. And, uh, you know, now we're getting into even, even more, you know, quarterback run power stuff with, with sending the running back to the flat. And, and, and I mean, it's, it's just really, you know, every year it's, we've just added another, another, another little piece because you need to, because defenses are, are constantly on the move to try to defend it. Yeah. I can attest to that as a defensive first coach. You know, my first year in coaching, I coached both sides, but I was I worked with the quarterbacks a little bit. I don't know if you ever came across this guy, but uh, do you, did you ever run across Rick Rasnick ever in coaching? No, sir. So Rick was the head coach of Utah when they were they had uh, Jamal Anderson, and then he or he was the offensive coordinator, and then he was the head coach of Eastern Michigan after that. And he was the offensive coordinator at this high school. He just was selling insurance. So I didn't have to do much with the quarterbacks, let's just say. But I was the defensive coordinator. So, but as a defensive first coach since then, like it's, it, it keeps you up at night. And the thing that I, and I don't want to talk about defense too much because like, this is hard for me because I've been doing a podcast for two years I get it. where I'm asking defensive questions. But the thing that, the thing that really scared the shit out of me was, when I watched Tua, and and pardon the ignorance, it was the first time I'd seen it, where he's looking this way on the run and looking the other way in the pass game, and I went, oh, shit. Yeah, that's a problem. Okay, if you're to the back, you know, you're out of the fit. If you're away from the back, you're in the fit. We thought we had it oh, figured out, maybe the wrong word, but a wrong phrase, but we, we thought we were getting somewhere. And uh, I think it was one of your protégés, Josh Gaddis. He probably got it from you, but I think it was uh, Josh Gaddis was at Alabama at that time, right? Yeah, he was. Him and Locks. 
that was the first time I'd seen it. I don't know. You guys gotta be freaking kidding me. Like we thought we had this figured <laughs> out and now what the hell? And, and you guys have done a great job of keeping uh, the defense on their toes. And I've always enjoyed watching your offense and um, you guys do some really good stuff. So let's talk about some of your run schemes. What are your top runs that you, that you build your RPOs off of maybe with the tight end? You're mostly an 11 personnel team, correct? Yeah. 11 and some 12. I was going to say the, the base, the, we have one 12 a little bit. We got them probably more 10 this year than we have in my, in my whole career, which was awesome. We, we had a, you know, unique slot kid, Jalen Red, we were able to do some neat things with. And uh, so I'll say this year we were 11, 10, and probably 12 would be the third. But, you know, the base way we construct things, you know, we're primarily an inside zone team. So uh, there's probably, you know, five or six different ways that we run it. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, the, 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 conceptual scheme and then the play name is going to dictate to the players who, who, who the unblocked players are going to be, who we're reading. And then the tag will tell us who the, the secondary read is. So, uh, you know, primarily, you know, we'll, we'll do all of our stuff off of inside zone. Uh, I've done it off of tackle wrap. I've done it off of one back power, uh, done a little bit off of, uh, you know, counter GY, you know, kind of those are the six for six ones, but you can't get into the, the five or sixes or the, uh, you know, where you're reading the end or five or six where you're reading the backer. And then we've really, really, I think, gotten pretty good at the power sucker stuff, you know, where you're reading the second level backer, you're re- reading the end. You know, th- those are things that have been been really good with us. And then we've, uh, you know, this year we probably run more stretch. Uh, you know, Oregon with Coach uh, Mirabal, Coach Chris Ball, Coach Mastro have been a big stretch team. So we, we ran a lot of stuff out of stretch this year as well. So I'd say, uh, and, and then I, I'd be remiss, you know, uh, the, the one back draw and the quarterback draw stuff is stuff that's been been very good for us as well. Yeah, all, those are all really good and run schemes. I've been watching some of your offense and I just thinking like, damn, they, they need to pay these DCs more because <laughs> I'm not, I wouldn't be able to handle all this stuff that you, you got to see uh, when you're playing a Joe Moorhead offense. But, um, well, first of all, let me let me ask you this question. When you were at Akron, the year that you ran the play you were talking about, what year was that? I want to say 2000. It was either four or five. Wow, you were doing it that long ago. Yeah, I could tell you it was it was uh, left to right on a screen, ball was on the left hash, and I'd say it was it was definitely on the minus side of the field. It was between the, the minus 40 and the 50 is where it was. If I had the old VHS tapes, I could bring it up for you. I got some friends. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll track that down for you. Uh, Luke Getzey was quarterback, and Merce Poindexter caught the ball. And Luke's, Luke's quarterback's coach for the Packers now. Okay, so I, I told this story. on I had Michael Lombardi on Make Defense Great Again, and I was telling the story about the fans of the uh, for the, that show. I had Wade Phillips on, and he he talked about – I said, what was – we were talking about something. I was like, what's the most amazing play you've ever seen? And he said – he had J.J. Watt. They were the Texans, and they ran. Uh, they were just in a regular three-four stuff, and the offense ran weak side lead, just a straight, not zone lead, but like a lead play. And <laughs> Watt made a three-yard TFL from the strong side B gap. He recognized the formation, stunned it inside, tackled the ball carrier on the opposite B gap for a three-yard loss. And within like twelve hours of the podcast being released, somebody went back and somehow found the play. No, that's cool. Knew exactly. I posted i'm like what the hell so you uh run vast option heads see if you can find that i would love to see that but uh 
I saw my first introduction to him really was uh, I went, I, I was coaching at Millsaps college. I, I was like, I came back home. I was going to go back out and coach high school ball in uh, Northern California. And there was some time in, in between. So I came home to Florida and was you know, spending some time with my mom. And in there, I had an interview in Mississippi and, and a buddy of mine was going to go see Tony Franklin at the Tony Franklin clinic in, in Dallas. And so I tagged along. I ended up, I was already in Mississippi. I'm like, damn, well, I'm halfway there from Orlando. I'll just go check it out. And I remember watching, he talked about running zone and throwing slants yep. behind. And I was like, I remember I left uh, the meeting and I called my uh, best friend, Stephen Lowe, who's the offensive coordinator at St. John Bosco. I think you've met him before. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, they're going downfield now. And we were I was trying <laughs> to explain it to him on the phone. He's like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah. But but Tony was doing it. This was crazy. They were running zone read. They weren't running zone lock. They were running zone read and throwing slants. Yeah. Some people do that. Uh, they, they, you got, you got to trust at the end. They can go tackle the quarterback. You got to have a little blind faith there. Yeah. You better play a team that only rushes four and feathers, but uh, how have you seen now the question I was going to ask uh, before I doubled back, how have you seen defenses adjust and, and what has kind of been the counter punch? I know people playing a lot of man. I know I had Don Brown uh, because of you on the pod. And we talked about that. I think he was next to last in terms of RPO scene because they played so much man. What has kind of been the counterpunch that defenses have started to do in the last couple of years? And how have you tried to stay ahead of the game there? Yeah, I, I think with, with Don, you're, you know, you obviously you see a bunch of the, the Raider or the one coverage and a lot of two and, and a ton of pressure. He's going to pressure you off the bus. Uh, but but I, I think what defenses have done to try to counter the, the second level RPOs is to take those, take those defenders out of conflict. And the way you take them out of conflict from needing to defend their run gap and play their, pay their zone pass coverage is to not have a zone is, is to play man to man. And I think is the term I use people take the air out of the zone and they start playing man and constricting it. You know, the, those inside backers or those second level defenders, they don't, their responsibility is either play the man or it's to play the run fit. And I think the next step that we've done is twofold. One, we've packaged three-step concepts to the field, married with the, uh, you know, zone glances to the boundary and essentially turned it into three-step. And if the quarterback gets man read, you know, we're going to work it just like it's quick game. You know, if he gets zone and, uh, you know, we get, we can get somebody in conflict, then we're going to, you know, take our eyes to our post snap key. That's number one. Number two, that if we're going to see a team that's playing a steady dose of man, you know, we're, we're going to run our, our man beaters where it's either, you know, a handoff to the running back and the quarterback pulls it and runs it. And then we've added that third phase of, uh, you know, kind of run screen option with the tight end behind the line uh, and, and doing things like that. Or the, the last part of it is making the quarterback a number where you're running quarterback run, you know, with the tailback blocking out of 11 and then adding a screen to that as well. So the, the way that you're putting people in conflict now, instead of having them choose to playing their run gap and their zone pass coverage responsibility is having to play their run gap or play the person that they're covering man to man. So, uh, you know, that's kind of been our, our evolution as defense of, is the, you know, the chess boards kind of keep moving, moving all chess pieces, keep moving all around the board. Yeah. Well, speaking, I mean, that's a great analogy. The problem is the way that y'all are coming up with stuff. 
That's like all of a sudden the, the rooks can move like a queen just at any given time. <laughs> hey, yeah, you can't do that. Like, and they can move down feet. They can, they can move into spots they're not supposed to be yeah, able to move like, to. Why is the queen moving like a knight now? What the hell is going on? I don't like this. <laughs> Wait, you can jump over pieces now? I mean, because, and, and it drives me crazy. And I get what coaches are trying to say when they say this, defensive coaches. I promise I won't talk all about defense. I, I, I promise you guys. No, you got it, man. Um, but, you know, coaches say, oh, you play RPO like you play triple option. Okay, well, in the sense that you play responsibility football, sure. But you can't play it philosophically like triple option because you layer your defense. That's why quarters and stuff was great because you could layer your defense and spill it and overlap and do a lot of that stuff. Well, if you're still playing like triple option, last time I checked, you know, if you're playing a triple option team, it's not dive keep and then oh yeah now i'm gonna throw a freaking five-step post down the field it's you know you can't air your defense like that anymore now and i I think the the neat thing with that is that which i I hope and believe that has made us difficult to defend is when people ask us ask me to describe the offense i say you know it's a multi-tempo spread that combines an rpo-based run game with a west coast pass game that takes shots down the field so and I, i think you're going to get to this question when you know, when teams are treating it like triple option and they're loading up the box, you know, that's when we've had a ton of success, you know, just getting in our, because to me, uh, you, you should always have uh, your best play action route concept should complement your most effective run. So that's always, you talk about packaging and how, how do you put your RPOs together? You know, that's also something else where they not just chart who's making a tackle and who the support defenders are and how they're getting to the ball when it's a run. But now coupling that with, all right, here's how they're defending this run. You know, how does that open up the pass game as well? Just just, just as opposed to the, the uh, you know, the RPO specifically. Yeah, that's and it's fascinating to watch, you know, because you see the pieces and, and, and like you said with the Chipotle thing, I mean, nobody goes and just, well, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say nobody goes and just orders black beans at Chipotle. You know, I mean, nobody, nobody just goes to Chipotle goes, "Mm, let me just get a cup of those big black beans and then sit down (laughs) or all the ingredients separate. You put them together and it's fascinating. You know, I I studied you a lot, especially when you're at Mississippi State because of the just by osmosis or through osmosis from the defenses I studied. I studied a lot of Bama, studied a lot of LSU, some Auburn. and, And so I saw how you were attacking those teams. I was studying UL. You played them, I think, game one or two in 2019. Yeah. So I saw a lot of Ron Roberts did a great job. He's a great coach. I love I love that guy. But um, one thing you did say, and what caught my eye, you were saying you were you're doing some man-beater stuff to the field. You know, a lot of coaches have said, oh, we don't throw three-step anymore because we have the RPOs. And I'm so, I'm, I don't understand that, man. Like, people's answers to RPOs is to play man that's when you want your man beaters, right? I mean, so why would you get rid of three-step passing game? I don't get it. I, 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 think, I think we have a healthy mix because there are certain times where, and, and it's really not from a play calling perspective because it, when you operate some of those five or six RPOs, uh, you know, just saying you're a detached two-by-two two and the RPO side is to the say you're reading a will linebacker and you have a, a you know a two man route concept of the boundary that's that's good against zone and if it's it's pressure or it's or it's one you want to work to the field. The, there are some times where you want to take some of that off of the quarterback's plate. You know what I mean? Where you just want to call a three step protection 
He knows it's six man. And then he could just drop back and worry about, I'll say throwing the ball, making his progression read, as opposed to deciphering, is it man, is it zone? Is this guy pressure? Is this guy filling his gap? Is he not? I think there's a time and a place. I, I don't think we've ever gone into a season and said, Hey, we just want to completely get rid of, or, you know, scrap the three-step plan. But I think if you are, if you are repping out, you know, some of that man side or conflict side stuff, well, it does turn into to three-step, but I, I never felt it was uh, a wholesale change where you wanted to completely uh, run it at the expense of not having quick game. Right. And, and one thing you did say about that scheme where you had those man beaters to the field, you said that your quarterback, if you see a man or just like a cover one or a pressure look, you could go to those man beaters and you have the RPO called, right? Like you have your run, your glance, and then you have those, those man beaters. Does your quarterback then take the run off so he can pass block better? Or do you keep the run on because it's a three-step pass? So it's not as important to set. Here's, here's, what, we'll, here's what we'll do. If it's, if it's not shell and they're not in conflict, and he knows he's going to throw the ball. He has he has the choice to do one of two things. If he thinks it's a static look, he'll leave the run up and treat it like a play action. Sense. Because you're, you're, you're usually open edge pressured. When I say there's usually an open edge to e- either side, if he feels it's a pressure, our, our O-line knows that if we make a pass protection call, we essentially we call the run. And if there's pressure and we want to throw it, whether it's man or zone, we will make a call to turn the run into a protection in the quarter. So essentially it turns into quick game <clears throat> and he's not always just locked into the man side because usually the, the two man concept to the boundary also works well against fire zone pressure. So it, it really turns into a true man side zone side. So if we're going to get open edge pressure, he's going to turn the protection. We're going to turn it into quick game and then he'll just work man or zone side off of that. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. The static look versus non-static look. And you guys also do a great job, and you mentioned it in passing, is your seven-man protection stuff is really good. I think that element of the offense that teams are starting to do, I'm just starting to do, but I started to notice it more and more where you're you're blocking everything up and taking those vertical shots. You guys are one of the best at doing that, and I'm sure with some of them catch you got at Oregon now, it's opened up like that slot receiver you talked about. Um, you know, that's uh, you got some Cali boys now, uh, a little different. I mean, don't get me wrong, you have SEC players, but I think that in California, you see on the West Coast, you see more, and this could be bullshit, I don't know, but I think you see more, at least in high school, 10 personnel. And you see those those little slot receivers that can like I know we played a kid I don't know what happened to him but he was at UCLA run like a ten one hundred meter, Cashmere Allen and and I mean some of those guys are just they're they're small but they're just and, and they can get vertical now, and especially if you're not getting pressure where or somebody where they're gonna, you know I don't know too many teams I don't know how it is in the Pac twelve that press on the slots where you get more of a free release now you make it doubled. You know, it's always easier to double a slot than an outside receiver, maybe unless you're trying to the boundary. But you get those guys attacking vertically. I mean, I can only imagine what that's opened up for you. So um, so since this was my first offensive podcast and I didn't want to sound like a complete buffoon, I crowdsourced some questions from some of my there we go. associates. Uh, these questions come from my friend James Light. 
uh, Rich Hand. Oh, great guy. You, you, know, you know James? Yep. I mean, through through Twitter, not not like personally, but I, I mean, he DMs me. I, I hit him back up. Yeah, I, I know of James. Yep. Yeah, he's a funny story. So he's playing a playoff game tomorrow. So this is crazy. This is a crazy story. Do you have you talked to him lately? No, sir. So he he was coaching at a school. Their season finished. They were knocked out of the playoffs. He went to go. To, he was approached. And he was the receivers coach at his current school. Or I'm sorry, he was the receivers coach at his old school. But really, I mean, he was involved in a lot of the decision-making and whatnot. Another school approached him to hire him as the offensive coordinator. He takes the OC job. Michigan pauses all activity. So he's now in the same season coaching for a second team. And he's going to be calling plays tomorrow. And uh, I don't know, I don't know what round of the playoffs it is, but yeah, he's like, cause we were talking about it in the DM and I, and I, it, it was like, uh, because there's the club football starting up in California and, and coach had shared like a, a team was white on white. The uniforms were both white. And he's like, look at this shit show. And, and James was like, you want to talk about a shit show? I'm coaching for my second team in the same season. And I, <laughs> and I got promoted and I'm calling plays in a game. It's just crazy. But anyway, man, COVID, what can you say? But so I have some kind of random questions that are kind of all pieced together. Um, these guys all have studied your offense very closely, and uh, I picked some of my favorite questions of theirs. The first one was from Rich. He said that he noticed that you lined up an empty a lot and you motioned the back into the backfield. Um, kind of what is your I mean, I kind of guess what you're thinking is, but kind of take us what your thinking is, and how do you practice getting the mesh timed up correctly? Yeah, I mean, that, that's something we've done over the years. For, for two reasons, um, to, to, to uncover uh, what's occurring on the back end, you know, relative to, to, to man or zone. I think lining up in certain formations defensively either requires defense to make a swap call or takes them out of a, a pressure completely, or when you have the ability to do what we've done, which is motion them back across the formation, motion them and bring them back, or reload them into the backfield. If it's an interior uh, pressure team, you know, with, with, you know, double A gaps, cross splits or things like that. And they're playing man to man. It takes one of the backers out of the fit. So it, it makes some of those blitzes hard to execute. So, you know, over the years, you know, if there's a, if there's a, um, you know, if we think we needed to, to not allow a defense to have their cleats in the ground, uh, if we want to try to maybe take a team out of a certain uh, pressure look, or if we want to try to, uh, you know, mitigate some of the interior man-to-man pressures. You know, those are the three reasons that we kind of use some of the empty stuff. And it just takes a – it takes, you know, uh, we call run timing period, you know, where, where you have time with your running backs and your and your quarterbacks. And then if any of the receivers are involved in that, you bring them down as well. And, you know, it's just a, a ton of reps during the course of the week of practice as well. <clears throat> Interesting. Yeah, I noticed um, one of your pupils – Joe Brady, when he was at LSU last year, he, uh, I don't know if it was, he was responsible. I'm sure he was and may have gotten it from you, but I noticed they did that a lot where they had uh, their running back, Hilaire, I think his name, the kid that the Chiefs. Yeah, line him up, line him up as field one, then see what he's in, bring him back in. Yeah. yeah, they did it a lot to the boundary to help uh, when they played Alabama. And I know that it gives a lot, it's kind of, it reminded me of the old run and shoot where they would just go back and forth. Yep. If you go back, you go back to our 16 game versus Purdue at Penn State, uh, and then 
did the after Donnie Brown got us pretty good in 16 that that 17 game you know we we were in a we were in a lot of empty there and, and for two reasons you know of all the things I just said not letting them get their cleats in the ground uncovering you know what the looks were and then we had one of their linebackers matched on Saquon a bunch of times and you know and then just being able to run some of that power sucker stuff out of, out of sweet motion you know those were those are two games. I mean, we've done it a bunch, but those are two games that kind of pop out of my mind. And then also Auburn and 18 and Mississippi state. I think they were giving up like 85 yards a game rushing. Mm-hmm. And we went almost primarily empty that game. And I think we rushed for like 350. They were eight in the country when we, when we won that one. Wow. Now one of the, the next question was that, uh, you know, I guess through reading about you and keeping tabs and just seeing different things that you've done like this, that you built your own language structure from scratch. That always fascinates me as somebody who's run a, a West Coast style defense, so to speak. Um, you know, creating language and things that make sense but to do it from scratch. And I think it helps clear up any because when when you take it, you know, the guys like Nick Saban and Gary Patterson, especially on the defensive side, you run out of words, you know. Um, like I know Coach Aranda uses quarterback names for the his creepers, right? when he started doing it where the, with you're bringing a guy from the second or third level, dropping a down lineman. Well, the problem is they got really good at them and certain ones meant certain things like F was field. B was bouncing. Well, you run out of names, you run out of quarterbacks after a while. Uh, so you, what happens is a special word gets introduced and it just kind of gums up everything after a while. Things don't make sense. Words get repurposed. How did you go about creating that language structure? Yeah, at, at Akron, we were we were pretty much, you know, we were number based with some words. I uh, did the same thing at UConn, and uh, and when I got to Fordham and became the head coach and the offensive coordinator and play caller, you know, at that point you have fifty one percent of the vote, so you could pretty much do whatever you want to do. And then when we got there, we said we were gonna we were gonna you know scrap the numbers and we were gonna come up because to me brevity and, and, and shortness of of calls, particularly when you're attempting to play with tempo is of primary importance and also creating concepts and then directions within the calls. And when I use the word like mnemonic devices, where if we're running our base concept inside zone, the kids know it begins with a B, right? And they know base concept means the end man on the line of scrimmage is the give key. The final second or third level defender outside the give key is the pitch key and the innermost receiver away from the point of attack, uh, runs the bubble. So then, you know, they know it begins with a B Uh, all of our inside zones in base concept are inside teams. So they know it's a team that plays the games indoors. And then with each code word, there's an L and an R to it. So essentially we've done that throughout our run game. You know, the tags are some things that, that, you know, that, that, so say we have slants to the field and that's our quick game and then a glance to the boundary, you know, we call that slug, you know what I mean? So there's, there's everything within our scheme we try to make it as terse and short as possible, but also have concepts number one and then, you know, context clues within them that help the kids. So it's not just called like lamp, you know what I mean? And they, they have to remember what lamp means because it's just something that a coach, you know, picked out of a hat in 1977 because he thought it was a good word. and It yeah. doesn't mean anything to the kids. We, we want to have all the calls mean something, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Have you ever had a team switch from an indoor stadium to an outdoor stadium and totally screw you? Yeah, that, that's when you've got you've got an editorial license there that you kind of 
and we we did. I mean, we had out almanacs. You know, we've had to use like indoor professional league teams instead of arena league teams. We've had to use soccer teams from all over the country, and uh, you know, but we've 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 never like you said. There's never been a shores of words. There has to be some explanations to the kids about what the team is, but right. uh, then then they they always kind of because there's not a ton of them. They they uh, they're always able to. Uh, I don't want to say memorize because I don't like that word. They're always able to internalize and, and uh, you know, understand them. Why don't you like the word memorize? Because I think that denotes uh, a lack of conceptual understanding. You know, I, I want the kids to understand. I don't want them to memorize. That's yeah, that's you learn. And I think when you can, you can explain something or, you know, why that you can retain it better and you can perform yeah. it. And, and I know that I've worked with some guys that, you know, I've kind of give history lessons on stuff and maybe sometimes I get a little too long winded with the stories, but like you said, I had 51% of the vote, so there you I go. whatever the hell I wanted. But, um, you know, I think one of my, the, my younger coaches at one point was like, why do you always explain this stuff? They don't need to know it. And I said, cause so they'll understand it. I mean, I think as teachers, you, I mean, to me, it goes back to, I think it's called the modalities of learning. Mm-hmm. That there's there's a proven study that of retention of what you hear, what you write down, what you repeat, and what you teach to others. You know what I mean? And I, I think as a coach in the classroom, it's imperative that they're utilizing all those things to the kids because some some can learn from looking at the playbook, some can learn from looking at film, some can look from the X's and O's on the board. Some have to write it down, some have to teach it to another one. So when when you you really kind of have to to be quantify the best way that the kids learn. Uh, and really in, in a lot of ways, cause it's a unique, I mean, I have three kids of my own. It's a, it's a unique generation relative to how they learn. And I, I right. that's, you know, part of our job as a coach is to make sure that you're not implementing a cookie cutter approach and, and knowing that all kids learn differently. And that's one thing that I've struggled with personally as a, as a teacher and, and as a student is I'm one of, I don't know what the percentage is. It's very low. I'm an auditory learner, which is very, I think it's like the last one by a mile. And if you tell me something, I'll remember it. If you make me look at a list of words or read something, I'm the ADHD kicks in. <laughs> and so I always thought just if you talk, it wasn't, this, this wasn't, a, this almost makes it worse. It wasn't a conscious thing at first, but I would just explain everything instead of drawing it and walking through it and, yeah, I had a mentor, Keith Burns, who, you know, said, you know, you got to walk it, talk it, you know, see it and go yep. through all those different modes and have them teach it to each other and use all these tricks. Cause I just thought, well, everybody learns like this. So one thing that's important to learn as a young coach and even to remind yourself, even as you get older, you know, that's especially now, you know, with technology and everything, I know this is kind of a, a trite uh, kind of, sentiment that everybody kind of rolls their eyes and go yeah yeah yeah." but you know with technology you got to teach the kids differently today and i think you i think you do a good job of how you structure your your offense and how you structure some of the things that you do and in your teaching and i know that there's some you know some of the stuff that you've talked about or some of your pupils have talked about different plays and things that have leaked online or whatever i've seen i've been able to learn easily because of the your language and if i can learn it from an article or a soundbite i'm sure being in that room with you all the time it makes it a lot easier but uh so uh this is actually a question for me i wanted to kind of talk about you know one of your drop back passing concepts and it can be a five i mean i 
want to say either a five-step concept or even a, maybe a play action concept, take us through one of your favorites, maybe one that's not, you know, something that you see every day or it could be, see, you know, I told you in the pre-interview, you could be standard, but I, you know, if there's something, if there's something unique out there, and again, I know that you, you are a, and one of the top 10 programs in the country traditionally, you have, you know, you have to put food on the table. And so if there's some things that you can't talk about or don't want to talk about, I completely understand. That, 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 that never, I'll never worry about any of that. that, that. You know, you offensive guys, you offensive guys are so much better about that. Us, we're so yeah. paranoid. You guys have had us figured out and we're still freaking paranoid about it. But if there's a drop back concept, you, you could teach our listeners, um, that may be a little off the beaten path, but he thinks really good and, and take us through it. Yeah. All, all of our past concepts are, are categorized into families. And, and I think the one that's the most multi-purpose uh, that, that, um, you know, carries across first, second and third down. And it, that it, it has good solid rules is a play that we call funnel. And it really started off of four, three verticals with an under and I, and I, in a wheel, Chip Kelly ran, ran the heck out of it when he was at, at UNH and, and then at, uh, and that actually at Oregon, ironically enough. And then it, through the years, we've kind of run a version of it. So with us, we, we don't teach, you know, everything in our past game. It's field one, field two, field three, boundary one, boundary two. And then are you on a line of scrimmage or are you in the backfield? And that kind of, kind of you know, dictates what style of route it is within the scheme. So on, on the play that we called funnel, if it's field one, he has what we call a torque route, which means takeoff freed. So if it's, if it's off coverage, he'll run a 12-yard comeback. If it's press or cloud, he'll convert it, and that's the quarterback's access throw. So if he feels that it's a gift or he could take three and one and throw it, he'll take that. Okay. Field two has what we call basic route, which is a 12-yard square in, and he'll be split on the inside edge of the hash. Field three can be aligned really as an attached or a detached. He's going to have a 12-yard lock post. Now that post is our alert versus any kind of man under coverage. And the quarterback's parameter to take that route is, is the MLC role, matchup leverage cushion. Okay, boundary one's going to have a six-yard crosser. Uh, he'll stay on the move versus zone. He'll stair-step versus man. And then the back's going to have what we call a, a check option route where he's going to run the five yards kind of in the, uh, you know, say the hook curl area. If it's zone, he'll sit. If it's man, he'll break it out. Now, this, this play call falls into the family, what we call uh, our over-under family. And the defining characteristic of any route in our over-under family is an inside triangle. So the, the boundary one on the crosser is the low end of the triangle. Uh, field two on the basic is the uh, high end of the triangle. And then the back sits the low end. So if the quarterback doesn't take the access and he doesn't like the matchup leverage and cushion against the, uh, on the post for field number three, he's going to go three and one to the crosser. And if it's zoned, unless the place out inside backer takes it, one more hitch to the basic unless the backside inside backer falls underneath it, then he's going to dump it down to the back. If he does get man to man and then it's, he's got, he's got a series of runaway routes, you know, uh, one hitch to the, to the crosser, which should be stair step and one more to the basic, which should stay on the move. And then the back, if he gets man to man should be snapping out. And then we do have the ability to tag wheel onto that, which is something that I've loved to do over the years. So that's that family's in the five-step family. Uh, it's a five-step concept. It's in the over under family. Uh, field one is a torque route. We'll take that versus access field two, 12 yard basic field three, 12 yard lock post boundary. One, uh, has a uh, crosser. Then the back has the option out. And then, you know, with, without an access or, or a post throw then we're, we're going to read the inside triangle there. 
off the top of your head. It's a great concept, by the way. Um, I really am, think that's a, that's a play I haven't seen a bunch of, and I can see where that could cause a lot of problems. Off the top of your head, how much do you think that, one, you throw the field one play or the field one torque route to the post or three, go just go through your progression? Like, What percentage of the time are you taking those kind of access or pre-snap reads? It, de- it depends where I was at. Uh, at, at Penn State, we hit the accent. Trace was very good and comfortable at throwing that field comeback. Trace McSorley? Yeah, and and to me, I, I allow them to do it based on – because when I say when you take that route, it better be complete. So he, he was very adept at knowing when they were going to be off and inside and when the flat defender was going to be tight. So I'd say we probably threw that the most at Penn State, but we I'd say we hit it three or four or five times maybe this year. Uh, I'd say probably the least of the throws is the 12-yard post versus man, uh, just because you don't always get a great uh, a great leverage on that. You know what I mean? Uh, and then the the then the ins- I'd say it goes inside the inside triangle, the crosser, the basic in the back that that gets hit the most. I'd say the access comeback probably gets hit the second most, and then I'd say the the alert post probably gets hit hit the third most. Um. So got a couple questions. Well, I got a, a couple questions on how you attack certain defenses, but first, you know, and you kind of talked about this on the deep dive show, how do you organize your call sheet and why, like, how are you putting it together? And, and now that we've talked about it, do you kind of have that menu, that RPO menu kind of like uh, on your call sheet as, as like, uh, okay, the defense is playing us differently here's our if then that doesn't change or something like that. Like I, I have a, uh, a section on my call sheet that are just generic plays that if I lose my mind in the middle of a game, and I know this is more of a high school thing where you come out, you're playing a spread, no huddle team. And all of a sudden they jump in the flex bone and run midline or something crazy. You have those plays that never change. You have some answers in case you're like thrown off and like, Oh my God, what the hell is going on? You can look at it. Do you kind of have like a menu you were talking about with the RPOs that's kind of always that doesn't change a lot? Yeah, we'll we'll carry that into the weekly game planning process. So as we go through and during the week, we'll have our one page menu that has everything on it. Then we kind of pick and choose from that as we're constructing the game plan. Now, as we get into halftime and we're making our adjustments and maybe it's something we haven't seen. You know, we have the calls that, that are on the sheet for the game and then we always carry the menu with us and say, all right, you know, we were expecting them to do this. They'd come out and play this a little bit differently. You know, what else do we have? And it's not like we probably, we know what they are without looking at the menu, but it's always nice to have it as a, as a, as a frame of reference. How do you construct, construct the rest of your call sheet though? What are some of the columns you use? Do you have special things you use or. Yeah. The front side of it is first and second down calls by formation. Then across the top on the backside, it's third and short, third and medium, third and long, third and extra long. Uh, in the middle of the back sheet is fringe red zone, tight red zone, goal line. To the left of that is, um, I'm sorry, right below the third down is fourth down. And then you've got situational below that. You've got four minute, two minute back, backed up. You know, people call that coming out uh, two point. And then uh, I say two minute. I don't think so. Yeah, then two, two, two minute, two minutes on there as well. So, so all the situational stuffs on the back, and then I always go into a game. I kind of take that call sheet and I re rank everything on a whole different sheet, which is 
it kind of allows me to, to formulate my thoughts at the end of the week and then always have, you know, a series of openers for each personnel grouping we're going to use. Now you mentioned Chip Kelly at some point. Do you, do you have the random call sheet or play sheet where he just has a giant letter and random number? No, I have, I have, a, I have, I put a code where I have a little, little acronym at the, at the, it doesn't, I, I know what it means and the quarterbacks in Penn state know what it means. And uh, it's, it's always a good reminder to me that we're going to call the game aggressive and it's, you know, four letters and it's LTFF. And it means let, let that, you know, what fly. And, uh, we're 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 gonna call it. And we're gonna let it fly. There you go. I love it. Uh, so let's talk about attacking some defenses now. What is your kind of your basic plan when you see everybody's new favorite defense, the tight front? You're talking either four I zero four I, or some variation thereof. What what are some of your initial thoughts attacking that? No, I mean it's gonna be tough getting the backside tackle up to the backside backer in a read game. So I mean you really. Once again, and I hate to say this because it sounds cliche, but it is accurate. You know, you're talking about numbers, you're talking about angles, and you're at gra- talking about grass. So, it, you know, you're, you're able to run your zones to the short side of the field, and then you really got to manipulate what you're doing on the backside. You know, whether it's locking the tackle on the four-eye and inserting the tight end on split zone uh, or, or reading that backside inside backer, you know, that four-eye or that three making it difficult for the tackle to get through. You know, some people, you know, they're going to read that four eye. There's just different things you got to do, not so much to the front side of it, but to the back side of it. And then really, you know, are the overhang defenders wide and you don't need to fan out to them, then you can, you know, you can block tackle and guard on the five to the play side back, or you could single up the nose and then you can, you know, use the backside tackle and guard on the four eye up. Now you have edge, edge pressure issues there where you got to comfort to a tight end. So there's, so really, to me, the the ability of the the backside four eye to take away that free access or free run for the tackle up to the backside backer in the zone that that, that makes it that makes it difficult. You just got to do some things to manipulate that. Yeah, that's interesting what you said about you know whether the overhangs are tight or wide. That's we've constantly, you know, we told our overhangs. Listen, if you're always lining up in the same spot, you're fired. You know, you have to. <laughs> You have to have something to you because otherwise, especially on, you know, in the past program, you know, especially if you want to bring inside pressure, you got to try and sugar up there. So you fan out to it and then you opens up the interior lanes. Otherwise you're going to be running at a guard who's staring at you. And I don't find that to be a winning business model. No, that's press protection. Now, how much does it change? I know that there are some, some very different things like I got into a little bit of an argument with the coach about speed option. I, I posted, I posted a clip of Devin white against Louisiana tech and it was very tongue in cheek. I was like, guys, I figured out how to stop speed option in the bear slash tight front. And it was Devin white just being a freak of nature and got me thinking about relative to talking to you. How much are you treating that bear front? If you see any of that bear stuff where you're going from instead of four, I zero four, I to three, zero three, how much does that change your planning? Not a ton, you know, a, a little bit with the combination, a little bit with the combinations on the inside. Yeah. Uh, and then really the, the, to me, the difficult part, I say difficult when a team's playing a four eye and that four eye can become a five. Mm-hmm. It's more difficult than when that guy's static, you know what I mean? So, and particularly once again, with the backside tackle. So the teams that are going to, they're going to hunker that guy in there and he remains your three or a four eye, but the teams who played in a four eye 
and, and can, are able to cross face and get to get to a four down front out of it. You know, sometimes that makes it a little bit challenging. What about that makes it challenging? And how do you adjust to pick that up? No, it's just the backside tackle's got to have a tremendous amount of patience. You know, kind of pick it up, put it down, and he's just got to zone through that B gap and block block who shows. And if the if the four eye remains a four eye, you got to block him. If he crosses face, you got to have faith, and it does affect the quarterback's read as well, you know, defining who the final C-gap defender is. So th those are the two challenges there. Yeah, I know some teams that one of their favorite uh, pressures is take the four-eye to the back, loop him, especially if you're getting three-by-one with the back stacked, take your four-eye, loop him to the C, and then bring that backer through the B-gap as a way to try to stop buck sweep or zone down. I don't know. What, yeah. what, do, you, what do you call zone where the tight end's just trying to mash down yeah, we, it's it's uh, we have split zone and we have cutoff zone. That that would be cutoff zone. Now, when you see the tight front, are you more likely to go to the gap scheme stuff where you can get pullers, maybe get a tight end on a linebacker and get pullers around? Or yeah, I like a little bit of one back power stuff to that. I also like some of the power sucker stuff to it. I, I think the zone is kind of a catch all, but you know we we've had you know with the, the amount of four hour stuff that we saw you know in the SEC. And we were second in the league in rushing, had the league's leading rusher with, with Kylan and I think had as much success the, the first year. We, 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 were able to, we were able to mix in a healthy amount of gap schemes just because it does alleviate some of that pressure off of the backside tackle and the quarterback's read. And it messes with the defense. Um, now you mentioned the power sucker play a couple of times. Uh, could you, because I know there's no universal language in football, could you quickly describe that? Uh, when you're when you're 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 blocking the one back power, and then the running back is running a circle the field course from either across the ball, or he swings on the same side, or he can pitch it, and then you're either reading the play side inside backer, or you're reading the the play side uh, defensive end, whether to hand it off or for the quarterback to pull it. So it's it's like power read toss. Yeah, power read. We call it power sucker power, power read. Sucker. Yeah. Okay, so instead of coming across and reading, you're on the same side and you're. No, that's one of our tags. We could do it three ways. We could come across. We could do same side, kind of like you see Clemson do, and they do that with a counter as well. Yeah. Or we'll just swing. We'll just swing the back. Swing. And, and once again, there's the run plays a run play. We call we call our power sucker play, and then the tag tells us how the back's course is. We're always reading the same person, but the backs the tag tells us what the back's doing. Gotcha. Okay, I just wanted to paint a picture because sometimes I think we. Because to me, power. So just to show you where I'm at, and again, I'm coming from the other side of the ball. Well, no, this is an offensive uh, perspective. The first time I ever heard power sucker was, well, no, the first time I ever heard sucker was wing T and single wing. So power sucker to me is I'm running power right, but my guards are pulling left. Oh, yeah. So I want to make sure I'm, you know, I, and that's what I interpret it as. So I just want to make sure. <laughs> the center belly flip play. I mean, that, that's all, that's a sucker play, too. Yeah, so I wanted to make sure I uh, got that down. Didn't want to assume anything. What are your main plans of attack when you're seeing the new three-high defensive fat? And, and we'll say for the purposes of this question, we are not it, – it's not get, lining up in three-high and spinning to two or spinning to one. We're saying that these teams are going to stay in three-high coverages. Yeah, we – um. Had a little bit of experience with that when I was at Akron. We they were based in a uh, our defense was based in, a, in an odd stack, but like you said, it was more of a, of the old school one high structure with the uh, strong safety down to the field, the boundary safety down to the boundary, uh, and really wasn't even to the point where the people started running a lot of too too high stuff. So it was, I said, a little bit 
more traditional coverages with, with just an odd stack front. My first game, Mississippi State, we played Stephen F. Austin, and, and they were kind of a, a three-high safety structure. But uh, I'd say our first um, real um, challenge with it in, in terms of the true three-safety look was, was the bowl game against Iowa State. And, uh, you know, people who saw that game, you know, we, we did pretty well in the first half. We didn't have very many possessions or plays. We had about 250 yards and 17 points in the first half and didn't do very well in the second half. Uh, you know, turned the ball over, didn't convert some fourth downs. But, uh, you know, the biggest challenge, we, we went a lot of formation in the boundary. We did a lot of free release into the back to the field. And the, the challenge of that, you know, they played they play, they play a, play a, uh, a zero nose with two true, two true five techniques. Uh, you know, Sam, Mike, and Will, and then the three safeties in, in the two quarters. And there was such a great variety of um, pressures and uh, coverage vari variations uh, that, that it really made you, I won't say limited what you can do, but, you know, you you could never, you can never guarantee where there was going to be access to where there was going to be a cloud, where there was going to be a three-man rush, where there was going to be a five-man rush. So it was, uh, you know, Coach Heacock and his staff did a great job with it. I thought we had a pretty good plan. Uh, we just didn't execute very well in the second half. So it, it it's the it's the structure that allows them to do non traditional things that because it's almost like okay if you line up in a five like like let's go back so you line up in a five one look like a bear look there's only so much you can do yeah you can simulate you can bring the middles backer and drop the ends and run a uh, simulated pressure or whatever. There's, I mean, on every down, on, on regular downs, there's only so much you can do. You know, a 4-1 box or 4-2 box, when you get in a two high, there's so many disguises. But, and and like I said, I even took it out of the equation, the question, by saying, hey, they can't spin to two high. They can't spin to one high. The the variety, you know, I haven't really talked to a lot of uh, guys about this because it's not something you see a ton. You're seeing it more, but it's still... It's, I mean, how many how many teams hang their hats on three high safeties in NC2A football in, in the FBS? One, maybe two, if you count Rocky Long. So it's, and, and I know Zach Arnett, Mississippi State was doing, they're, they're, I know they're into that world. A little bit, it looks a little bit different than what, what Iowa State's doing, but like you said, it's a, it's a very small handful of guys that are, that are majoring in it. So to run across it, to run across people who have played it, you know, just as a defensive guy who study defense, it's hard to find those guys. Now it's even harder to find guys to talk to that see it. Well, here's the here's the trick. Here's the trick of it. I think because you see a zero nose, you see two five techniques, you see two backers in the box, and you have another backer walked out in space. It kind of gives you the illusion of, of, that it's a soft and a light box, and it couldn't be further than the truth. You know, they they've got that field overhang number twenty three, who was a pack, uh, Big Twelve Player of the Year. You know, he's tight in there. And then essentially to the field, you've got the corner and another safety. And they, they they change up the support there, whether it's sky or cloud. Then you do the same thing to the boundary with the boundary safety and the boundary corner. You know, whether it's sky or cloud there also with a trap or a sight corner, what some people call it. So you got that illusion. And then you got that number num number one sitting right there in the middle of the field. And he, he, he could play deep middle third. He went to halves, but he was also a downhill run fit guy. It was also kind of in their three deep, three under stuff or two deep, four under stuff. He was a hot two guy and just a fast run fit guy. So it was a re really unique way to me that you had a soft presentation of a light box. But in re reality, it was eight man, nine man front football. I mean, it was really cool what they do.
Yeah, and it's. It, I was just gonna say that, it, especially if you're a ten personnel team, it's got to be psychologically debilitating because you look at the box. They got a four out of the back, who's really a wide three. He's playing like the three technique. You got a zero, a five, and a mic. You have a four man box, a four man box, and you're like, I have to run the football. Like I have, like everything in my offensive coordinator one-on-one handbook says I have to run the football. And then you go to hand it off the overhang away triggers. They've gummed up. The end is spiking inside. He's not spiking inside, but he's getting, holding the point and then ripping inside. Now they've turned into a bear look and then they get the middle safety becomes your, the, the player to the quarterback. And it's just, it's just chaos. And that's not even a blitz. That's just playing their regular standard coverage. And then the blitzing platform off of it. The one thing that I've seen, and, and pardon me, Coach, I, I didn't see the game, the bowl game that you played, but I had a very brief stint with, uh, I did with Big 12 Radio for a couple of weeks, and I had to break down Louisiana, uh, Lafayette, well, I'm sorry, they're just Louisiana now, Raging Cajuns and uh, Iowa State. And really, I mean, because the, the thing I like about the defense, from a defensive perspective, and I know that's what makes it hard, and it's the old 4-3 thing, you can't run away from the mic. You know, they build their defense to the spine. Your nose, your stack backer, and your middle safety, three of your best players. And so trying to get those guys out of there, I, and I'm not sure, I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure you did some of this stuff like four by zero on unbalanced. Well, not four by zero open, but like tight end and then trips. Yeah, um, we did we, two different unbalances. So you're trying to get that middle guy out of there. You're trying yeah. to get him out there to the trips and – and so I know that that's been a real, you know, unbalanced is always good, but especially versus odd fronts, well, especially with odd fronts where they have an extra middle safety. And so I, I was going to say that that was a big part of your game plan as well. Yep. Trying trying to lift it. We got into first play of the game. We, we missed it. We had one of our power sucker RPOs with the tailback down the chute and the quarterback kind of pulled up and missed it. But yeah, we, we ran, we ran split zone with a glance off of three, uh, you know, that, that was the, the one thing that those two unbalanced set seemed to be the one thing that uh, kind of cooled their pressure just a little bit. But it, it was, you know, big, big field uh, NCAA blitz, you know, four, four week, four week, four strong uh, with three deep, three under and two deep, four under behind it on first and second down. Uh, a little bit of saw double edge on, on second and long, but we're on their third and medium plus. They got into some of that uh, split double mug you know, uh, read blitz and then add the free safety to it, but then bailing and getting to some non-traditional two and then getting to some three sky out of it. I mean, they're, they're, like I said, I was very, very impressed with the, with, the, with their defense presentation and their game plan. They're good, very good defense. Well, and again, and, and I hope that the offensive guys will turn off the podcast and I, I promise not to talk about as much defense, but, uh, you know, it, what's impressive is, they came up with it by it wasn't by accident. They got their they got their ass kicked in the middle of the season. They were playing. I think they played Iowa. It was like the third game of the season. They had a bye week, and they're like, "We can't do this. We can't do. We cannot play." Because you know, it's and it's funny because one of my buddies was at Iowa State for their install, and day one pursuit drills. They're in four three quarters. <laughs> Wow. That's, were. that's that's what Jim uh, Jim Haycock Haycock. I'm sorry, I don't know the pronunciation was. He was a four three quarters guy, Tampa two quarters, and they said we got this badass nose tackle, we got this badass Mike linebacker, and we got this guy in the middle. We don't have the lineman for four three four down personnel, 
And they like created this during a bye week. And and it's and it's one of those things that it it, it they stuck to it and and they haven't looked back. And I just think it's amazing what happens when you're backed into a corner, what you come up with. You yeah. know, I, I could sit here and, and try to think of cool ideas all day, but when you are backed into a corner, it's like there's a special part of your brain that just keeps things on reserve in case shit goes down. <laughs> and it's like these like tiny reserves of energy. And then when, when you're backed into a corner, your brain just gets real creative. Let me tell you. So, yeah, I didn't know. Cause I know a lot of, a lot of guys look at things as gimmick. I mean, I, I think less seen now, maybe get your take on this. I think there's less of like joking or like laughing at things, seeing as gimmicky. Like I remember, you know, 15 years ago, people looked at what Boise doing was gimmicky, shifting, moving around. I'm like, did you ever watch Joe Gibbs play offense? What are you talking about? You know, yeah. but I think pro football used to be, and I, I used to coach in a conference like this. I used, uh, I used to say that it was like the American Revolution. Everybody want to line up from across from each other, and then let's all shoot at the same time. Whoever's got the biggest bullets wins. And it's guys like you that you're like, you know what? I don't have the biggest bullet. I got to think of something. And so whether it's creating RPOs or lining up in a three high defense and coming up with some answers. And I, and I see things now that would have been dismissed out of hand 15, 20 years ago, hell five years ago. I remember all the pre-draft chatter for guys like Lamar. Oh, he's a college quarterback. He won't be able to do that. Now the NFL is looking for guys like that. You know, yeah, it's funny, funny that the, the, you know, things that, were scoffed at or looked at with scorn, like you said, two, three, four, five years ago. Now these quote-unquote college-style offenses, or, or or at least the basic tenets of it, are what you're seeing from the the top offenses in, in NFL right now. I mean, you look at, you know, the Chiefs. You look at Ravens. You know, Coach Harbaugh had me down there for two days. You know, two springs ago to, to, to talk run game, and it's I don't say gratifying or, or, or a sense of validation, but you know, it, to, to uh, you know, there's a reason why it works. You know what I mean? And like you said, that quote you meant, to me, adversity introduces a man to himself. And, and, and sometimes, you know, it, it takes, you know, the hardest fall to result in the highest bounce. I'm going to steal that. Well, it's actually funny that you mentioned about that uh, because that was one of my questions early on that I didn't get to ask because we kind of moved on. And I said, well, I'm not going to go back. But now that you've brought it up, be honest with me, coach. How does it feel? You're, you know, on the, the few time, Sundays, maybe it's a bye week or something, and you get a little peek at or nets this time of year with COVID. You probably watched a lot more NFL football, especially at the beginning of the year when you guys didn't know what the hell you were doing in terms of if you were going to play or not. But to see stuff that you did 5, 10, 15 years ago, seeing the best players on the planet doing it, the coaches, the bet, I'm, I'm using air quotes. It's, so, so peek behind the curtain number two. Coach and I are on Zoom for the first time. This is the or this is the first time, rather, I've done a video Zoom to record a podcast. Everything I've done up to this point, every single episode has been audio only. So I got to make sure I'm not because I'm doing air quotes to coach, but <laughs> I got to make sure you guys can't see this. So, uh, but uh, uh, because coach is probably like looking at me like, yes, I know you're doing air quotes, idiot. I can see you, but for the listeners, you know how does it how does it feel to see guys that in a league that the pundits would have laughed and like, you can't do, I mean, I remember when I heard that Brad Childress was the director of spread offense or whatever his title is to see stuff that you did 15 years ago, guys making all this money looked at some of the best coming. I mean, Andy Reed is considered one of the best 
pro coaches in the last 20 years to see them taking this and taking NFL offense to a new level and setting records with stuff that you did and probably people people stole from you. How does it feel? I want to ask that question. I hate the house. How do you feel? Like, how does it feel? But seriously, how does that feel? Like, can you put that into words? I feel like I should be on the ESPN sideline after a game. No, I mean, it's, it's, couple things. Like I said, it, 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 there is a, a small amount, and I don't want to say validation because you're really never looking for a pat on the back, but, you know, that is the highest level of football. And I think you saw it on Twitter the other day. We have a, you know, a little boundary switch, you know, concept that we've been running since little old Fordham in 2013 that we call backpack. And we've car- carried that on. And uh, I forget, was it, was it the Bills that ran it? In, in the, in the, uh, someone ran it in one of the playoff games this week. And uh, someone who covers pro football posted it with literally the playbook page from my 2016 Penn State playbook that Joe Brady texted me. He was like, that's literally the, Joe Brady's the one who literally made that page physically. There's a term, a page from your playbook, and then there's literally the page from your playbook, which that was. So that's, I mean, that, that's cool to see. I mean, we, like I said, we've been running that thing forever, or whether it's, you know, you watch, you know, like I said, I had a chance to go down in clinic the, the Ravens for a couple of days, uh, you know, in the spring of 19 and to see them do some of your stuff or, you know, you turn on the game and it's, it's, you know, a player, a concept that, that you run and, you know, everyone has access to film and everyone has great ideas. But to me, that's, it's, uh, it's just, it's a pretty, it's a pretty neat feeling when you, you want to be someone who's an expert at your field and kind of on the cutting edge of kind of, you know, offensive football to, to see that the best and the brightest are doing it with the best players in the world. That's, that's a pretty neat feeling. Yeah. And I, and I know, I know the type of guy you are. You're not one to see it's, it's more of an internal validation or an internal, like you want to be the best of your craft because you believe in being the best in your craft, not because you want Mike Lombardi. No, if I mean, I love Michael Lombardi. I had him on the podcast a couple weeks ago, but so Mike Lombardi won't talk about you on the radio, you know, like you want to do it because, uh, you want to do well at what you do because you're a, per- a perfectionist for yourself and, and everybody's like that. Nobody's like, you know what? I'm going to be okay today. You know, like, yeah. hey, you know, uh, well, otherwise what's the point, but you know, and, and, and don't coach, don't take this the wrong way because you have coached some amazing players, especially at the college level, like name me a better back than Barkley in the last 10 years. I mean, they're, 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 <laughs> It's a short list and there's, I don't know who else is on it, but I mean, how does it feel, you know, as coaches, when you draw stuff up, you know, I know I've done this running a blitz with, we had a strong safety or an edge blitzer. Um, his nickname was Wee Man and it wasn't cause he was tall and uh, we would run a blitz. And you know, you I know coach, you said this to yourself at some point, man, imagine if I had Randy Moss catching this ball or imagine if we had, you know, Joe Montana throwing this pass, whatever, but you actually get to do that. You actually get to go to the Ravens. You get to help them. And again, you have amazing players at Oregon. I'm not taking anything away from the guys that you have coached. And some, like, like I said, Barkley in college is probably better than half the backs in the NFL his last year in college, but to go like put an idea together with a guy like, I don't know, Nick Fitzgerald, you coached him, correct? Yep great player but then to go see like lamar jackson do it all those like well imagine if we had this guy imagine if we had michael vick like how many times have people been like imagine if we had michael vick and then you get to go install a player (laughs) for the 21st century well i guess vick was in the 21st the 2020 2010s version of michael vick that's got to be so cool like 
I, I won't say the name, but I shared a blitz idea with a division one coach. They put it in and it was successful. And I thought I'm like running around the house being like, Holy crap. I can't imagine even going up a level with the best. I mean, I mean, how many, how many better head coach NFL head coaches are there than Mr. Harbaugh? Not many. Let me say this. Dude. Let me say this. Coach Harbaugh, coach Harbaugh, coach Roman, coach urban, the quarterbacks. I mean, three of the, three of the best people, not even talking coach. I'm, they're three of the best people you'll meet. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I, I kind of, I mean, being a Steelers guy, that's hard, for, uh, hard for me to say, you know, they, they may take your Pittsburgh card away from you, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I always, you know, I, I, I root for it with Tra- trace being on the roster and stuff. Right. You, you root for their success. Yeah. The best part of the, I don't say the best part of the whole trip because the whole thing was cool, but on my way out, uh, Ozzy Newsom was walking in as I was leaving uh-huh. And he actually, with the fact that Ozzy Newsom knew who I was and was going to be there, and I got to have my picture taken with him, that's, that 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 was uh, that was something that I'll never, I'll never, that was damn cool. That is very cool. And it's those moments, you know, we worked so damn hard and doing all this stuff, and just the time we put in, it makes all that, you know, getting those cool experiences like that. That must be just so rewarding. It's just, you know, a, a life's work gets you to a point where you get to go to the end, you know, a place like the Ravens and get to get your picture taken. And Ozzy was like, Hey coach Moorhead, you must've been like, what? Yeah. I almost fell out. I almost did. I was like, Holy smokes. So now you know how I feel when I talk to you. So here you go. Ozzy Newsom used to torture my Steelers back in the day too. I didn't want to bring that up to him. That's okay. He would have, yeah, he probably would have been like, never mind. I'll mention that on the second visit. Yeah. I held that. I I I thought I didn't say it. So what are you looking for when you get into condensed and bun sets? What are you trying to accomplish? What are some of your favorite plays? I mean, obviously, standard answers to defenses in man or defenses that have some really weird zones when, you know, like if you're playing a team like Alabama and they're matching, they're running their ripless stuff and they're they're matching really well and you want to, you want to get them into a, a, a true zone concept uh, where you think you can manipulate them but is there anything else beyond that that you're really looking for? Is there any concepts that you like? Let's let's say we'll start with two by two condensed or two by one, some variation of two to a side, non-trips bunch, and then we'll get into trips bunch. Yeah, we, we, the, the, fir- the first part of it is we, we've gotten into a lot this year of just squeezing down the boundary. So whether it's a single or whether it's two, keep, keeping our normal splits to the field and then, then snug, snugging it down to the boundary. To, to create to create a short edge there, so that's one thing we like, and then we can run run all of our traditional sets out of that. And uh, you know, that's a, a lot of term times in press coverage, whether it be too high or man high, like quarters press or or uh, uh, three match or one stuff. It, it's a way to turn man into zone. You know what I mean? We're, we're people are worried about being picked off, and you could create a little bit of access and separation. So that's one. The double condense, what we call snug. Uh, we really can run all of our two by two. Offense out of that, there's just we have a separate on our menu, a separate you know snug category where there's a you know just some different route variations. I mean, some people are going to check into a base look against that, whether it's you know a, a soft corners look. You know, some people are going to lock into three on that. You know, Auburn's going to double corner blitz you. You know, what I mean, a lot of people think edge pressure is the answer to that. So you just kind of got to get a feel of what they're doing and build your game plan around it. And then probably this year more than most. And a little bit of my last year, Mississippi State, we got into some of the traditional, you know, three-man, you know, tight field bunch. And, and we, like I said, we mostly can run a lot of our three-by-one stuff out of that. 
I noticed that, especially you mentioned Joe Brady. I noticed that a lot last year with LSU. He was doing that. I know the Chiefs do a lot of that where they're bringing that angst. They're bringing him down. And I know, you know, it's interesting. I was watching. They were running uh, shakes, I think, just, you know, post corner. Yep. For your play. And I'm, you know, that's how I've learned it. Um, and with that cut split, you can actually run a corner out from the X. You can do a lot of things that, as a defensive coach, you normally think, well, the X can't do this. The X can't run a corner route. What are you talking about? You know, and then, and then especially if you're in three by one strong, you can hit, like you said, you got that tight edge for zone. You can pop things quicker. It becomes almost like a tight end, especially if you have a big physical guy. You know, Brady had Jamar Chase over there and, um, LC <laughs> at the Chiefs and, you know, some of those guys that they can, they can block too, which I know sometimes it's been kind of a lost art. I mean, a lot of guys are getting away from um, the old tunnel screens and RPOs and stuff. I mean, it's, I mean, you've coached offense for a long time, you know, it's some of them receivers, it's hard to get them to block and now they're not even practicing it as much. And so you almost need a bigger physical guy to kind of, just go in there and do the job. And especially, you know, you're running some of your pin pull stretch stuff. It, it, all of a sudden now you're in three by one with a cut split. You can run buck sweep, which you would have never been able to do if you were just in traditional three by one open. I mean, did you ever do any of that stuff? We did we're not so much with the down blocking, but, but we found that uh, what it allowed you to do was run a little bit of a field run game without the threat of corner pressure, you know what I mean? And, and, and the split's so tight that, that it's, it's difficult for that guy to cross face and get inside of him, that the corner's going to blitz outside of him. And, you know, that guy becomes, like you said, like we call it formation tray, you know, nub tight end, three detached. You're almost running a lot of stuff that you do out of that outside the pin mm -hmm. and pull. And if you get a guy like that, you can run the pin and pull. So a, a lot of that stuff, and I probably should have mentioned this at the beginning, that the idea to me of con condensed formations is to constrict space to create space, if that makes sense. And now what it's also doing, as you mentioned, in shortening that corner in the, in the space, you know, it's corner blitz or free safety bits blitz based on the, you know, the width of the split. You know, you start bringing that thing down and forcing that that edge blitz to go outside. You know, it, 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 it takes another thing off the quarterback's plate. That's interesting because I always thought bringing stuff in condensing it would give the defense the upper hand in terms of disguising. And I remember he said the double cat. I remember, you know, Alabama did that to Georgia, to, to Cheney in the national championship game. They hadn't run that. And since they played him in like, it was like 2009 or 10 and 10 when he was at Tennessee, uh, Tennessee, I, I don't remember the school the first time, but they kept a file basically on every OC. And that was like the thing to do, getting condensed from double cat. Yeah. They us in 19, Coach Steele did, did a good job with that. Not in 18, but then then because we we ran a, a lot of a lot of snug in the in the 18 game, and we ran for I think 350 in that game, and he did he did a, he did a good job because we we did not see that stuff in the in the 18 game. Yeah, so you you know you're forcing guys to do stuff. I mean, who's going to put in a double corner blitz? I mean, and like you say, it, it forces defenses to react. I think. I think it creates, like you said, what was that, uh, you know, condensed space to create space? Strict space to create space, yep. Yeah, because, you know, in defense, you tell somebody, I mean, our rule, we use the old TC rule. When they get tight, we get wide. When they get wide, we get tight. Yep. But we widen now, and now you create vertical lanes inside that you can hit these, you know, 
Brady's just saying buck sweep again, but in the sense that, you know, it's a play that's going sideways and then you're sticking your foot in the ground and you're getting immediately north and you can create those vertical lanes if you're not careful. And I know our offensive coordinator in the 2019 season during spring wore us out in that and it forced me to create some additional issues. And of course, we never saw it during the season. So we spent all that time trying to defend this stuff. But um, anything out of, is there anything that you do out of that stuff that you can't do in your normal spacing? Is there anything that like, special stuff that you that you just do out of that to create or, or you because you said in your bun sets just a very a very, by a one very game a very small drop back menu that's 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 snug or bunch specific mm-hmm. but but outside of that it's pretty much what you're just manipulating you know instead of comeback routes and maybe a corner route you, you you have to modify a route to fit the to fit the field spacing but you know outside of that you may have to widen the stem, you know what I mean? Just just mess with, with some of the uh, details of the routes, but but for the most part, it remains the same. Well, that, and that was one thing I was going to ask. It, it seems as though, because before when you had a team that would run bunch, and I say before, like 10 years ago, people had their bunch routes, their man beaters that they did at a bunch, the in, out, and up stuff, you know, sit by one, corner by two, flat by three, you know, it was very vanilla, just trying to pick you out. And team uh, got in, but and I'm and when I'm saying bunch, I'm specifically saying tight bunch, not the real wide bunch stuff. Yep, yep. Now it seems like it's the opposite that teams are getting into the bunch to run their entire passing game, minus like uh, some some stuff where it's you're trying to really horizontally stretch down the field um, because you do kind of gum everything up some at some point. So you know, but I've seen people run four verts out of it, and yep. I see teams. Yep running it's like now it's we're going to run our whole offense and we may have a play or two that's specific to bunches is that a trend that you've noticed as well i, I don't know if I, I can't say necessarily trend but i i've seen more probably let's say this traditional offense out of condensed splits than, than i've seen that i've seen in the past and, and i think the um proliferation and I think what people were doing out of out of spread and RPO concepts has allowed that to occur. You know what I mean? Where it used to be just bunch toss one way, counter back the other way when you're under center. You know what I mean? And yeah. now, now that you're in the gun and you could create the four strongs in the two weeks and you know the you know the cutoff zone and, and split zone and people glancing off you know glancing off of tight splits and then running our like run screen options. I, I think it's uh you know the the direction that offenses have headed have allowed more um, traditional, I say traditional, relatively traditional uh, plays to be run out of those formations. Yeah, it doesn't seem like, the, like you said, doesn't seem like they're bunch-specific plays, where before, when I was first learning 15 years ago, you had a bunch check, maybe two. You had maybe a man bunch check, you had a zone bunch check, and you had two, three routes you got out of it. And like you said, teams got into it. If they were under center, you were getting truck toss, you were getting counter with the the H or the Y, whatever the number one guy on the inside was going to come around. And now you're seeing all sorts of crazy stuff. We <laughs> kill teams. My, my, the head coach that I worked at, and you may know him, I mentioned him before, Rich Hammond, he's at Clovis. We would take advantage of that. So he'd get in the bunch. I'm sure you've seen this, but the we get in the tight bunch, X, and then he'd motion the back out as the number one. Yep. Send his ass down the field and then run a play they called mini curl. Two's going over the ball. 
threes going out and one's like starting to go out and then he hooks up over the ball. Yeah, so spacing, like spacing yeah. yeah, spacing. Okay, yeah. He I think it was an old Andrew Cover he learned it from Andrew Coverdale, I think. And you know, I used to feel sorry for the defense when it, when I heard the call, I'm like, oh God, man, I'm sorry. I'm almost like like I'm sorry, guys. You know, because you got all your bunch adjustments and all of a sudden that back runs out and our back could run. Our back could run. He wasn't, uh, you wouldn't stick him out as receiver, but he was fast and he had decent hands, but he wasn't like a real like cut guy, like, you know, run all the routes, but he could run a go route now. And so you either had to just store all your bunch stuff or you had to send your linebacker out with them. And I was just like, oh, it, it was the best two point play we'd ever seen. <laughs> um, because while everybody's freaking out and like trying to figure it out, we'd snap the ball, obviously in, in two point, we're not expecting that guy to clear anybody out. So we'd snap the ball faster, but my point is you had a specific set of plays. So, and I, and I was watching last year in camp, I asked Rich, I said, how many of these plays are bunch or how much it was really, he was doing more snug stuff, not bunch. I said, how many of these are snug specific? He's like two. I go, so you're telling me the rest of your offense, you can run out of this stuff. He's like, yeah, oh, Jesus. So you, you guys are doing a great job making the, uh, the defense's life harder. So, Winding this down, coach, wanted to talk to you a question on a lot of people's minds. And and I know that I know some guys out east that are starting to now prepare. Fingers crossed the state of California will get this play. But how did COVID two things? How did the combination of COVID and then taking over an offense at a new place affect how you installed your offense? Yeah, I mean, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, before you get into the football part of it, I mean, you're you're talking about, you know, countless people who've been affected and in, in whatever the number is now. I mean, it goes up to the 350,000 Americans and people worldwide who, who've lost their lives. Commit. So you you kind of put it all in a little bit of perspective that, you, yeah. you know, you're, that you're glad you're glad you get, you know, the opportunity to, you know, play a game that the kids, the kids love that, that it's your, your passion and your calling. And, and in some ways, a little bit of a respite from what's going on around us. And I, but I don't think we could ever lose sight of what, you know, what, what people are, are going through and will continue to go through. But, you know, the, the, the challenge, number one, of coming to a new school where you lose, uh, you know, the NFL rookie of the year, multi-year starter quarterback, five offensive linemen, including the Outland Trophy winner. So you're, you're looking to install a brand-new offense with no spring ball, with five new offensive linemen and, and a new quarterback, ready break. All right. Oh, by the way, you don't have spring ball because of COVID. Uh, you're not sure the season's going to be played until whatever it was, mid-September. And then you have a truncated version of fall camp. Uh, and the fact that we were able, you know, by no means was the season perfect, but you know, we scored over 30 in every game but one. We were close to 450 yards of offense, and you win the Pac-12. To me, that's, that's a testament to Coach Cristobal, the culture he's created, and most importantly, our, our kids and, our, and our, our medical staff that we were able to stay healthy for the whole season. Because it, it was. It was, it was uh, in a it – was, it was mentally and physically draining uh, and, and took a lot of emotional toll on the players and coaches just because – you're going through the testing every day, you know, you're doing everything you can to remain safe and you, you're not sure, you know, within 24 hours, if, if a player or a position group or, 
your side of the coaching staff is going to be knocked out. I mean, it, it was unprecedented. And, and I, I talked to the offense about this the night before the Pac-12 championship game. But, you know, on my desk, I have all, all the uh, rings from every championship team I've been on in every bowl game. And it, it, this was the fifth championship at fifth different school in college. And I told him every one of those rings tells a story when you look at them. Mm-hmm. And for us to, in uh, the game was the next day. I said, we win this game, you, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, 25 years from now, you'll look at that ring on your case and, and it'll, it'll tell, it'll tell a story that, that no one was, would have told before and no one will tell after. And, and to me, that's the thing I'm most proud about this year. Not the wins, not the losses, not the points, not not the fiesta, none of that stuff, but the way this team really held together with our culture. That's incredible. I mean, that's you had everything going against you, and I mean, everybody did. So that's one thing that, you know, I talked to a coach early on, and he was, oh, you know, we got this. And I said, well, the good news is it's not good news. Good news from a perspective that it's not like you were the only one going through this. It wasn't like, Oregon was going through this, but USC wasn't or whatever. You were all in this, but you really saw, especially early in the year, you really saw the coaching come out where how guys could adapt. There were some really good coaches who struggled to adapt because they had a specific way of doing things. They had a specific MO, which is good to have. You always want to have a good plan, but what is it? The Marines adapt, overcome, adapt, improvise. Yep. Yeah, thanks for saving my ass on that one. I was getting the order wrong. I know overcome is the last one. I just can't remember the first two. Um, I actually didn't plan on asking this. And thank you for the thank you for that answer, Coach. I didn't plan on asking this because I don't usually get in a fan territory or like player territory. But how how good how good is your uh is Panay? Is it Panay Soul? Yeah. yeah I, I mean, one of my first orders of business was watch. I mean, I went back obviously and watched all the games from the uh 19 season just to get a gauge on personnel and you look at him in person he you would never guess he's 300 plus pounds the guy carries it like it's 275 and on top of his physicality and demeanor and obviously coached by you know coach Mirabal and coach Cristobal you know two great O-line guys is I've not seen a guy that big with that much athleticism and that much finish I mean it was you know he kind of like Felt like calling, hey, you sure you're really not going to play this year? <laughs> you wanted them to come back, but yeah. whoever gets them, and I imagine it will be very very early, they're, they're going to get a special, special player. Uh, last question for you. Well, two parts, I guess. Um, give the people what they want. What's your Twitter handle so guys can follow you? And guys, real quick before Coach gives it to you, Coach is worth following. I know there's a lot of coaches on there that just retweet the hype videos, the latest hype video from the media department. I know there's the guy that tweets the Sun Tzu quotes and the bullshit. And, you know, there's there's some there's some place for that. Lord knows I love a good uh, Sun Tzu quote. But you know those coaches I'm talking about. But Coach is actually worth following. He gives great insights. He quote tweets pictures of his playbook that Joe Brady drew. I mean, Coach and I, as, as you know from the story, became – Friends, I'm going to say, and uh, I'm going to pretend like coach is shaking his head no, and I'm going to pretend like I don't. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, um, you know, I got to know coach through Twitter because I did a breakdown of a play, and this guy was saying I was wrong. And I'm like, no, I I think I'm pretty right. And coach chimed in and be like, you're damn right. And then not only that, but explained the whole thing. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, is this guy serious? I thought somebody like kidnapped your phone. I thought it was a joke. (laughs) And so, I mean, he's worth a follow. Go ahead and coach and give uh, give your account out there. 
Yeah, pretty, pretty, uh, at ball, B-A-L-L, coach, C-O-A-C-H, Joe, J-O-E-M-O. No spaces, no hyphens, no nothing. There you go. Now, I, not that Oregon needs a commercial from me to give them any legitimacy, but I, I will say this. If I had a son and, you know, I, I coached a player at uh, Clovis that you're getting, Keanu Williams. Yep. When I had heard all the places, at first I wanted him to come to the Southeast because that's where I'm from. But when you guys came through and uh, I had heard that you'd been through, and then especially once you got there, I'm biased. I worked at Miami when Coach Cristobal was there. I'm a Miami fan. I watched Coach Cristobal play in college. I watched him when I was a child play college football. I know Coach Mastro through Patrick Walsh at Sarah High School. Obviously, Coach Moorhead's here. I've heard nothing but good things. I play. You got a bunch of St. Francis players on the team. What you did at one point, the Cyrus Habibi, Likio, and which I had to play him twice in one year, by the way. And uh, Bennett Williams had to play him twice, by the way. You know, they were on the same team, high school team. Imagine that. Just knowing, you know, the school itself is amazing, but knowing that staff, I mean, it's incredible. Incredible guys. They give you all the time in the world, which is kind of rare uh, these these days, sometimes in college ball. Just a great, great group of men. And if I had a son, and uh, I, I would definitely be sending them to Oregon. I expect you to get a lot of recruits off of that, by the way, Coach. That endorsement was pretty strong. <laughs> Uh, no, but in all seriousness, last question for you. Last time when you were on the pod, well, it wasn't the last time. This is the first episode of this pod, but when you're on that other podcast I did, I asked you a question, hypothetical, which we will ask all first-time guests. Um, I'm not going to ask Coach to repeat it. I actually, funny, I don't, did I tell you this? Um, so I did like a Christmas, New Year special. I took all those answers. I don't know if you remember the question I asked you. I said it was like fourth and nine. I always screw up the question. 35-yard yeah. line. You got to get yeah. a kick a field goal to win a national title. So I did a, uh, I did a compilation show, and I had – Answers from Bud Foster, Don Brown, you know, blah, 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 all those guys. But because you're on the old podcast, I don't own the, the the audio. I don't own it. So I read, I basically wrote down what you said, and you were the last person I said, and we even have an offensive guy in here because it was the defensive. <laughs> so if you want to know Coach's answer, go to that special episode. Go to the end. I'm not going to make him repeat it. So that's what most guests that come on for the first time with me, that's the question they'll get. But because Coach is a returning guest, I'm going to ask him something else, and I think it's just as fun to listen to. Who inspires you? Who do you watch offensively in the game that you like to watch to get ideas or to validate ideas of your own or just because maybe you enjoy – maybe it's a triple option team. You just enjoy watching play, and it inspires you to coach or you, you pick up something off of. Who do you like to watch and who inspires you? from an offensive game plan, muse perspective? Yeah, I, I don't know that it would necessarily be a person or a team, but but I, I think it would be like a concept. Uh, and whether it's, you know, um, you know, power five, group of five, you know, one double A. I mean, heck, some of the best stuff Chip Kelly's ever run is the stuff that he did in New Hampshire. I mean, and, and that's kind of before you got famous stuff, you know what I mean? And, and Chip always does unbelievable stuff. But to me, if we're – a lot of the best stuff that we see – as we're selecting games to go in the breakdown are schemes that are analogous to what you run. So you can either get formation formations or schemes. And, you know, on top of seeing what the defense whom which you're preparing to play is doing, 
the part of the other fun of that is seeing what, the, what, what other teams are doing. And I just think, like I said, that the direction where football is headed and, and the, the amount of teams that are uh, dipping their toes into the RPO waters, uh, to, to me, anyone who's kind of doing anything that's, that's creative or on the edge or like building on something that we had, we had done in the past, to me, th- th- those are things that are, that are inspiring to me and help, help. A lot of the great stuff that you see, you know, as I get to evaluate quarterbacks around the country, you know, you, you pull from watching a, a, um, a, uh, a high school highlight tape and you're like, Oh man, that's, you know, that, that, that's pretty neat stuff. So to, to me, I'd say it's, it's watching uh, other teams who do similar stuff and, and just kind of the subtleties and nuances of, of what they're doing. I think the, the threat of job loss or the, the security or the comfort of job security allows a lot of high school coaches to do things that they normally wouldn't do. Like I know that short of some scandal or something or whatever at Sarah, like I wasn't going to get fired. Unless, I mean, unless we were just got off. I mean, Patrick Walsh, I'm not sure if you've met, I know you're, you're new out to the West coast, but you get a second, go to Sarah high school, go meet Patrick Walsh. He is amazing. I'm best head coach I've ever worked for. And I work for Dick. T- I'm nothing against Dick Tomey. I work for Dick Tomey. I work for Larry Coker in, in a very reduced role. I was like, the, you'll talk about the totem pole, the lowest. I was underneath the ground. I was like under the totem pole. I actually wasn't even on the totem pole. I was the soil below the totem pole. He was like a brother to me. He still is. And and it wasn't one of these things like if I did some crazy blitz or something, I was going to get fired. And I look back and some of the shit that I did without having that kind of hanging over me, like, you can be either creative or stupid, or maybe it's both. Maybe it's like combined creative stupidity, but you know, I, I, I respect guys that go out on a limb that have it all to lose, you know, uh, especially guys that they get their first shot and it's like, you, you better make it now or else, you know, you're never going to get that shot again. It's very liber It's very liberating. And, and, you know, we talked about earlier, like the, the four letters that are on the bottom of my call sheet, LTFF that, you know, there's an old, old saying is scared money doesn't make money. And, and that's the one thing as I kind of progressed at Akron, we were pretty good at, at UConn. We did some nice things and, you know, one, one championship of both paces. But when I got to Fordham, I said, Hey, I'm going to push every chip in the middle of the table. And I, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to call it without regard, but to, honestly to consequence, but, uh, and, and I think, and <laughs> obviously carried that into, into Penn, into Penn state. But, uh, yeah, there's something to me that's very, um, like you said, throwing caution to the wind and, and, you know, being aggressive and doing all that stuff. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a fun, it's a fun way to call a game because I think attitude reflects leadership. And I think the kids, the kids, they feel it and they see it, you know, and it's, it's something that's tangible. Well, coach, you've said it all. Thank you so much for being the first guest on the new run. Va- There's a new one to add. You get the run pass option, you get the run screen option. Just tell the kids you're going to run a run vast option. And in all seriousness, thank you so much for being the first guest. Um, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you do for the game. I know a lot of coaches feel the same. The excitement was off the charts when I told everybody that I'm not one to tell people beforehand. Like I didn't tell anybody you were coming on the last pod until I had those recordings in my hand. Cause yeah. I didn't want to, I know, I know a lot about the football gods, but I didn't know a lot about the podcast gods yet. But I felt like t- t- speaking about it was going to jinx it. So I kind of teased it a little bit. Um, but I, you know, I posted your picture up and everybody was freaking out because one, 
you're an amazing football buying, but more important too, you're a kick-ass dude. Never lose that. Never lose that. Please. Uh, you're an awesome guy. Thank you so much for coming on. Anytime, man. Appreciate you. Keep up the great work. Excited to hear it. Thank you for joining me on episode one of Run Fast Option. Thank you to Joe Moorhead for coming on and sharing your time. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, rate and review if you like the first episode. Follow me on Twitter at Coach Fast, the show's account at Run Fast Option. Also, you can follow the Make Defense Grading account at MDGA Podcast. Make sure you sign up for the Huddle Blitz 21 Summit by going to by going to www.huddle.com slash coachvass. The clinic is from March 1st to 5th. It is free to sign up, so do so today. Remember, I will be on March 2nd, March 3rd, and March 5th, and you can stay tuned to my timeline. I'll have a bunch of information up on that. Coachvass.com is the website. Go ahead, check it out, explore. Also, I'm doing one-on-one consulting for the off-season, so if you're interested in that, there's a tab there. Stay tuned to the YouTube page, bit.ly slash VastTube. And also I launched a, a thing called Linktree on my Twitter. So if all else fails and you want to go check something out that I do, you can always go to my Twitter account at Coach Vast. You'll see in the bio the Linktree, which has a direct link to pretty much everything I'm doing right now. Thank you again for joining us and we hope to see you next week when we will have on Willie Korn from Coastal Carolina.